Happy Monday, and welcome to Not Boring. So you might recognize that song from the soundtrack to The Social Network, the movie about Facebook. That's because today we're talking about Facebook. Everybody hates Facebook. Let's get to it. The devil we know. Look, I don't want to be writing this. You hate Facebook. I hate Facebook. Regulators hate Facebook. The only person who likes Facebook is that guy you went to high school with who posts QAnon content and still wishes you happy birthday every year. Just look at the product. It's a Frankenstein built from years of multivariate testing instead of product vision. The reasons to hate Facebook are as numerous and fast-growing as their daily active users. I've railed in this newsletter about how wasteful it is that startups spend an estimated 30 to 40% of the money they raise on Facebook, Google, and Amazon ads. Zuck is not particularly lovable. The new big blue is where so much fake news goes viral. Social media is addictive. Facebook just copies competitors' best features. Facebook knows everything about us. The list goes on and on. But here we are, writing about the reasons to be bullish on Facebook for the same reason that so many businesses turn to Facebook. We don't have any other choice if we want to grow. After a euphoric 2020, anything that even smells like a growth stock is up dramatically. I just picked eight names off the top of my head. Peloton, Etsy, Shopify, Virgin Galactic, Tesla, Square, Spotify, Snap. The worst performing Spotify is up 128% year to date. Airbnb and DoorDash doubled their IPO price targets before they started trading. Even my beloved beleaguered Slack got acquired. A lot of people invested in tech need to think about where to park their gains from the past year. Something safe, but with upside. Something that will benefit from the continued transfer from online to offline, offline to online, but that likely won't crash if multiple, multiples come back to earth. Something that will at least outpace inflation. Something with international exposure. Something that's been held back by reasons only semi-related to the company's performance. Something like Facebook. Some of you might be thinking, duh, yes, Facebook is one of the most valuable companies in the world. I watch The Social Network and The Social Dilemma. I know that Facebook is rolling into e-commerce. I've seen all of Zuck's congressional hearings. I come to Not Boring for new stuff, not boring companies like Facebook. Aha. Because of that, I think we might all be sleeping on Facebook a little bit. I know I have. So many of the things that we view as negative about Facebook are actually positives if you put on your investor hat and hold your nose. It's monopolistic. Well, while most acquisitions fail, Zuck and Cheryl have been so good at acquiring companies that the government is stepping in post hoc to try to undo them. Tax on the internet. That same 40% of all venture dollars raised stat that's rough for e-commerce businesses is great for Facebook. E-commerce needs Facebook to grow. WhatsApp unmonetized. WhatsApp is the most popular messaging app in the world, and Facebook has barely started monetizing it. My God. Zuck has too much power. If you think he's an evil sociopath, that's bad. But if you think he's also a genius with a hard-to-grasp long-term vision, that's really good. Copycat. While it feels gross, it doesn't really matter that Facebook copies from a business perspective. It owns distribution. Privacy regulation. Paradoxically, the regulations meant to protect users from Facebook and Google just deepen Facebook and Google's moats. 
This is much as anything is why I think regulators are stepping in to try to break up Facebook. All of the things that people dislike about Facebook are the same things that make it such an incredible business. Something just feels off about that. You know I love me a bearish narrative that I think might crack. While the stock hasn't dragged quite like Slack pre-Salesforce, Spotify pre-Rogan, or SnapTweet pre-2020 Partner Summit, the fact is that Facebook feels kind of gross, so we just kind of ignore it. Maybe buy a little and focus on younger, fresher, sexier companies. But what they're building is actually kind of exciting. Ah, duck. Put your shoes back on and hear me out. It's going to take some explaining, which I'll do. We'll talk about what is Facebook, Facebook's business model, Facebook's boring stock performance, digital real estate, the most ambitious backward integration in history, Facebook's new reality, and then we'll put it all together. Facebook is an advertising juggernaut on pace to do more than $80 billion in revenue this year at 80% plus gross margins, which has only become more critical for advertisers during the pandemic. Because it's hated, you get all of that at a slight discount without accounting for Facebook's wild bets on the future. Just to be extra clear, this is not a value judgment. Facebook may very well be evil. As I was writing this post, I hopped onto Twitter, and the first tweet that popped into my feed was someone saying, today was my last day at Facebook. After 4.5 years, I finally stopped making excuses and did what I felt was right, and I'm really proud of myself. But because we all think Facebook is evil, we don't spend much time trying to understand the full scope of the business behind the products on which we spend 65 minutes per day. What is Facebook? Facebook is so omnipresent that the analysis of the company is all trees and no forest. When I started researching this piece, I realized that despite reading Stratechery Daily and spending a lot of time on tech Twitter, I don't fully understand everything the company does and how it all fits together. So let's all admit that we've lost track, hit reset, zoom out, and admire the forest. Nearly half of the world's population uses one or more of Facebook's main social media properties, Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp. Facebook is also building what it hopes to be the next computing platform through Facebook Reality Labs, which has Oculus, Portal, Spark AR, Control Labs, and more. The main Facebook product had 1.8 daily active users and 2.7 billion monthly active users in Q3 2020, while the family of products saw 2.5 daily active people, or dApps, and 3.2 billion monthly active people, or maps. They don't report weekly figures, or what I'd assume they'd call WAPs. Mark Zuckerberg founded Facebook in 2004 from his Harvard dorm room, and IPO'd the company in May 2012 at $104 billion market cap. The story is well covered, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one of my favorite quotes in recent cinematic history from 2010's The Social Network. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, you'd have invented Facebook. All right, that was a non sequitur, but moving on. To build out its current family of social products, Zuckerberg made three big moves. He acquired Instagram for a then-astonishing $1 billion in 2012, a month before IPO. He acquired WhatsApp in 2014 for an even more eye-popping $19 billion in 2014. And it spun out Messenger from the core product in 2014. Facebook also tried to acquire Snapchat in both 2013 and 2016, but CEO Evan Spiegel turned them down both times. Facebook has used social acquisitions both offensively and defensively. Instagram. Investors' biggest concern going into its IPO was its weakness on mobile. Facebook acquired the mobile-first Instagram to fill that gap, in addition to what Wharton Magazine called, quote, the most epic tech pivot of the decade to make Facebook itself a mobile product. WhatsApp. Just as Facebook was making messaging a core service, WhatsApp was eating Messenger's lunch in terms of engagement and growing much faster. And Snap. While the acquisition failed, the logic behind the attempt was clear. 
Facebook struggled to attract young users who were turned off by their mom's presence. Snapchat is excellent at acquiring entertaining young users. Last week, the FTC in 46 states announced that they are suing Facebook to unwind the Instagram and WhatsApp acquisitions post hoc, even after the FTC investigated and allowed Instagram to go through back in 2012. The FTC highlights emails in which Zuckerberg discusses, quote, neutralizing potential competitors, which sounds pretty anti-competitive, but they likely wouldn't have brought the lawsuit if the acquisitions hadn't been so darn successful. Instagram. The acquired podcast called the Instagram acquisition the greatest acquisition of all time, reasoning that at the $20 billion in $20 billion in 2019 revenue that Bloomberg reported it did, the $1 billion acquisition is worth $153 billion of Facebook's market cap today. And WhatsApp. WhatsApp is now the most popular messaging app in the world, and it's not even close. WhatsApp has a reported 2 billion monthly active users, followed by Messenger with 1.3 billion and WeChat with 1.2 billion. All told, advertisers across the globe can reach nearly half of the world's population via Facebook's properties. Despite a massive base of 2.82 billion people, it grew monthly active people's 13.8% year over year. And that's despite being banned in China, the world's most populous country. If you remove China, Facebook reaches over half the world's people. India is crucial to Facebook's story. It has the most Facebook users, 310 million, and the most WhatsApp users, 340 million, in the world. And Facebook recently invested $5.8 billion for 9.99% of geo platforms. Reliance is telco, which provides the 4G and 5G infrastructure powering India's digital revolution. Back on the home front, the company's legal battle looms. I'm not an antitrust lawyer, so I have no idea whether the FTC's attempt to break up Facebook will succeed. Prevailing wisdom seems to be that Facebook won't be broken up, though, but that it will be limited in its ability to make future social acquisitions. It's just fine. Facebook is in pretty good shape with what it's got. Facebook's business model. There are a lot of good good business models on the internet, but Facebook's might be the best of all. To understand why, it's helpful to compare Facebook's business with Google's. Facebook makes money by aggregating consumer attention and data through its four main properties and selling both to advertisers so they can reach the right people with personalized ads. Like Google, Facebook generates the vast majority of its revenue, 98.52% of its $70.7 billion in 2019, from selling ads. Facebook and Google are the only companies that Ben Thompson refers to as, quote, super aggregators. He says, this then is a super aggregator. Zero transaction costs, not just in terms of user acquisition, but also supply acquisition and most importantly, revenue acquisition. And Google and Facebook are the ultimate examples. In other words, Facebook has almost zero marginal costs. They don't pay to get me to use their products. I go there to see my friend's content, which Facebook also doesn't pay for. And advertisers self-serve through Facebook business suite without talking to an expensive salesperson in most cases. While Google is intent-based, I search for shoes and Google serves me ads for companies that make shoes. Facebook is interest-based. I'm a 24 to 35-year-old male with feet who likes running, so companies that sell running shoes can reach me and others like me across Facebook's properties and on other sites via its audience network. Google can show me different variations of something I want. Facebook can show me products I don't even know I wanted. According to eMarketer, Facebook is slowly stealing market share from Google. Not only is Facebook growing faster than Google, it's doing so at a much higher margin. Facebook's numbers are astonishing. It had $70.7 billion of revenue in 2019, which grew 21.2% year-over-year in Q3 this year. 
Gross profits of $57.9 billion in 2019, good for an 81.9% gross margin. And for comparison, Google's is 55.6%. Its EBITDA was $34.6 billion in 2019, good for a 48.9% EBITDA margin. It has $55.6 billion of cash on its balance sheet as of September 30th, 2020, even after its $5.8 billion geo investment. And it has 3.2 billion monthly active people across its apps worldwide. Despite its mind-blowing business model and the fact that Facebook is essentially a tax on e-commerce, its stock has remained relatively sleepy, even as e-commerce penetration has doubled. Facebook's boring stock performance. In Software is Eating the Markets, I wrote about the idea that because of of new software products and increased access, retail investors are actually buying more than just a financial asset when they buy a stock. They're buying social status, entertainment, education, and a digital asset that they can proudly display. Tesla is exhibit A here. Owning Tesla gives you social status. Its fans are a community, and its products ostensibly save the planet. Elon Musk is entertaining as hell. Following Tesla, and by extension SpaceX, is an education on the bleeding edge of technology. All of that means that Tesla bulls are proud to show off their Tesla shares as if they're a digital asset with their own independent value. As a result, Tesla is up 764.7% over the past year. Its market cap is now $577 billion, and Elon Musk is the second richest person in the world. This can work both ways, though. Take Facebook. Owning the company has a negative social status and is not a digital asset that most people would proudly display. We're already bombarded with news about Facebook and all of the evil things it does and spend over an hour on its properties every day. So investing in it isn't that educational. And the company is a $700 billion-plus behemoth under attack from regulators. The stock doesn't move wildly. It's as blue-chip as tech gets, and it's not very entertaining. And have you ever watched Mark Zuckerberg speak? The retail investor chart for Facebook looks something like financial investment minus social status minus the digital asset value. Is anyone pumped to tell their friends that they bought Facebook? I feel kind of embarrassed writing this whole thing, to be honest. Add some antitrust hairiness into the mix, and you get this. Facebook is up 35.2% over the past year, underperforming the NASDAQ, which is up 42%. And its market cap is now only about $200 billion ahead of Tesla. The underperformance is more stark when you compare Facebook to its competitors across social, FAMG, which is FANG but with Microsoft instead of Netflix, and e-commerce. Here it is versus social media companies Snap, Pinterest, and Twitter. Facebook is the worst performing in the bunch. To be sure, Pinterest and Snap grew much faster off of much smaller bases than Facebook. While Facebook grew 21.2% year-over-year in Q3, Pinterest grew 58.2% or two times 2.7 times faster, and Snap grew 52.1% or 2.5 times faster. But their prices grew much faster than the relative revenue growth rates would suggest. Pinterest price is up 8.5 times more than Facebook's, and Snap's is up 6.8 times more. And then there's Twitter, which actually grew revenue more slowly and only 13.7%, but has outperformed Facebook stock by 1.8x. So maybe it's just that the market loves anything with a lower market cap because those stocks have more perceived upside. It doesn't make sense, I know. If that's the case, Facebook should fare better against the other fam stocks, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. Nope. Facebook is tied for the worst year-to-date performance among those stocks with Google at 33.3%, just slightly behind Microsoft at 35.2%. Amazon and Apple have outperformed Facebook by more than 2x at 68.7% and 66.7% respectively. Facebook, though, sports the second fastest year-over-year revenue and EPS growth behind Amazon, growing nearly twice as fast as Apple, Microsoft, and Google, and the highest gross margins and EBITDA margins of the bunch. 
We can do the same thing for e-commerce where Amazon is a laggard at 68% year-to-date growth. Chop, Etsy, Farfetch, Square, Mercado Libre, all up a ton uh, over the same time period. So summarizing all of that in one clean metric, Facebook trades at the lowest last 12 months and forward PE multiples of any of the FAMG, social media, or even e-commerce stocks in its comp set. Facebook's last 12 month PE is 32.3, which is lower than any of the companies mentioned. And it's forward 2020 estimated PE is 29.3x, again, lower than any of the companies mentioned above. Like I said, people hate Facebook, but tis the season and anything even resembling value that has tech upside is a gift from Market Santa. Plus, holiday shopping might break the floodgates. Facebook owns the most valuable digital real estate in the world during the time when digital real estate is more important than it's ever been. The importance of digital real estate. In the 2018 Social Capital Annual Letter, Chamath Palihapitiya wrote, startups spend almost 40 cents of every VC dollar on Google, Facebook, and Amazon. I've written about this many times, but only from the perspective of the startups doing the spending. From Facebook's perspective, taking its share of the 40% of money startups raise is a fantastic thing. And Chamath wrote, wrote that back when many of the startups had the option to spend on retail distribution. In order to counteract Facebook, Google, and Amazon's power and decrease customer acquisition costs, many DTC companies came offline into physical retail. Physical presence gives brands the opportunity to acquire customers who happen to be walking by. What they lose in margin from paying rent and employing store associates, the idea goes, they make up in lower CACs. Warby Parker kicked off the trend a few years ago by launching their own brick-and-mortar stores, and other DTC darlings like Bonobos, Casper, and Everlane followed suit. A 2018 JLL report projected that digitally native brands would open 850 retail locations in the next five years. Countless more added retail to their channel mix by selling through Walmart, Target, and other big box stores. COVID stopped that trend in its tracks. Not only did it push digitally native brands back to online only, it forced offline brands to move online in earnest for the first time. E-commerce platforms' share prices have skyrocketed during COVID as a result. Amazon is the only one in the basket of e-commerce leaders that hasn't more than doubled, and it's up 68% off a market cap that was just under $1 trillion coming into the year. And it's about to get really crazy. The fourth quarter is traditionally the strongest time of the year for retailers and e-commerce companies because of holiday shopping. Black Friday used to be a zoo in physical stores with people fighting each other and banging each other over the heads with TVs. And this year, most of that chaos moved online. Shopify saw a 76% increase in Black Friday Cyber Monday sales from $2.9 billion in 2019 to $5.1 billion in 2020, while independent sellers on Amazon increased sales 60% to $4.8 billion. It makes sense then that e-commerce platforms' shares would rally. That's where shopping gets done today. But Facebook should be a major beneficiary too, because brick and mortar wasn't just where the sale happened, it's where discovery happened as well. Now, both digitally native and traditional retailers are being forced to acquire customers online, creating marginal demand for Facebook's products and driving up CPMs across the board. I spoke to two people who confirmed my hunch. One, an e-commerce company told me that they were seeing higher CACs than ever before because of increased competition from offline retailers, but that they were spending anyway because they needed to hit holiday targets and were still seeing a positive return on their Facebook ad spend. And two, a venture capitalist told me their portfolio companies, large private companies in the U.S. and abroad, were setting records for Facebook spend recently. With physical real estate's decreased importance, digital real estate is more important than ever. 
and no other digital platform can reliably deliver the same returns for advertisers that Facebook can across its Facebook and Instagram properties. That position is starting to show up in the numbers. In July, Facebook guided to 10% year-over-year revenue growth in Q3. Thanks to an unexpectedly strong August and September, it grew 22% year-over-year, blowing out its own expectations. While it didn't give specific guidance for Q4, CEO Dave Weiner said on the earnings call that the company expects Q4 growth to be higher than the Q3 growth rate. I think it's going to report eye-popping Q4 numbers. Today, 10 million businesses advertise on Facebook across the globe. If they consolidate all of their spend online over the holiday season, it will provide a short-term spark to Facebook's stock. But it's Facebook's backward integration directly into commerce that gets me most excited. The most ambitious backward integration in history. What Facebook is trying to pull off is unprecedented. A $780 billion company that generates 98.5% of its revenue from a high-margin ads business backwards integrating into e-commerce. Ads won't just be top of funnel, they'll be the funnel. Facebook does more for businesses than just allow its 10 million advertisers to target customers with personalized advertising. It also gives 200 million businesses a suite of free tools to reach, communicate with, and now sell to customers. To hear Zuck and Sandberg talk about it, it almost sounds like Stripe without the Irish brogue. They too want to increase the GDP of the internet by empowering small businesses. While Stripe benefits from a growing internet in the form of transaction fees, Facebook benefits from more demand for ads. Increasingly, Facebook is backward integrating from simply being an advertising platform into building the tools to facilitate customer communication and commerce in-app. Just like Tencent built tools for businesses in WeChat after seeing businesses communicating with customers in the app, Facebook saw businesses in Thailand use profiles on WhatsApp, Facebook, and Messenger as their homepages and leaned in by adding features. They built catalogs, then a marketplaces tab, then power tools. Now Facebook powers roughly 1% of Thailand's GDP, or about $5 billion in GMV. And Facebook is rolling out the tools that it built there in the U.S. and around the globe. Over the past year, Facebook has undertaken two related projects to unify the family of products and help businesses sell through them. Messaging interoperability and shops. Messaging interoperability. Facebook is in the middle of a large infrastructure project that will allow people to send messages to each other from their Facebook messaging product of choice, Messenger, Instagram Direct, or WhatsApp. If I spend all of my time on Instagram, but my mom uses WhatsApp, I'll be able to send a message from my Instagram Direct to her WhatsApp and vice versa. In September, Facebook released the first leg of the project, cross-platform messaging between Messenger and Instagram. Interoperability has two main benefits for Facebook. First, it strengthens its network effect by increasing the utility for any user if their friends use any of the three Facebook messaging products. Second, it allows businesses to communicate with customers wherever they prefer. Facebook's new business suite, which it also rolled out in September, features one inbox for customer messages from Instagram Direct and Messenger and comments on Facebook and Instagram posts. Communication is the easiest path online. It's easier than building a website and accepting payments, even with Shopify and Stripe. If Facebook's business suite and improved messaging capabilities allow more businesses to sell online, it'll create more potential ads customers and maybe more businesses willing to pay for Facebook to run the lightweight backend of their business. Shops. In May, Facebook announced the launch of Shops on Facebook and Instagram. Shops let businesses set up free storefronts on their Facebook or Instagram profiles powered by one backend. From the Facebook or Instagram stores, customers can either click through to buy on the business's websites or buy directly in Shop via checkout. Instead of building all the e-commerce infrastructure itself, Facebook is partnering with any e-commerce platform not named Amazon. 
When Zuckerberg announced the product in May, he invited Shopify CEO Toby Lukey to the stream. That highlights Shopify's relative importance, but it's not, as originally reported, Facebook's exclusive partner. Understanding the relationship between the two companies in light of Facebook shops is a whole other post, but it's interesting that Shopify is acting like an API-first company for Facebook here. Shops does a couple of things for Facebook. First, it should help increase conversion by removing friction, which will ultimately make businesses want to buy more ads. And second, Facebook will make money from small transaction fees via checkout. Over time, messaging interoperability in shops will continue to converge. On the Q3 earnings call, Zuckerberg said that the goal is to build a commerce platform around messaging, starting with bringing shops to WhatsApp and Messenger, and by building tools that let businesses follow up with customers, complete transactions, and accept payments. In a first step towards monetizing that vision in the U.S., Facebook began testing a new ad product, click-to-messaging, through which businesses can generate conversations with customers. That product and the increased focus on commerce through messaging helps explain Facebook's late November $1 billion acquisition of customer. Talk about a high customer acquisition cost, but um, Customer is a control center for conversations that take place across channels, from text to email to social media, which fits nicely with Facebook's goal of unifying messaging, and also uses AI to handle simple requests, which should allow businesses to deal with increased conversation volume generated by click-to-messaging ads. Just last week, Facebook rolled out more features to improve messaging based in in in-app commerce. Last Wednesday, it added carts to WhatsApp, and on Friday, it added shopping to Reels, its TikTok clone. These solutions are still clunky. In the U.S., for example, WhatsApp's carts don't support payments, so businesses and customers need to arrange payments separately. But Facebook recently rolled out WhatsApp payments in India, where it's the country's super app after years of government pushback. Facebook's $5.8 billion investment in Reliance's geo platforms likely helped grease the wheels. At Marketplace in Thailand, as Facebook works out the kinks in India, it will roll out messaging-based payments to its 3.2 billion monthly active people around the globe as it slowly convinces governments it can be trusted with our money. As it continues to connect its various platforms and integrate more commerce and payments functionality, Facebook will complete the most ambitious backward integration in history, from ads into e-commerce. It will own the funnel. To be sure, all of this is early and unproven, and Facebook isn't exactly known for its product innovation. For a unification project, it all feels a bit piecemeal. Plus, the company has also faced headwinds in markets around the globe, where governments are slow to trust Facebook to handle payments. But it points to how Facebook is thinking about unifying its products to help businesses not only reach, but communicate with and sell directly to new and existing customers wherever they happen to be. To that end, it's not hard to imagine that Facebook might even roll out shops and messaging functionality through its mobile ad network, Facebook Audience Network. The implications of that would be enormous. It would mean businesses will be able to set up shop anywhere they're able to place ads today. Imagine checking out directly in ads across the internet. See, click, buy or even talk to a person or AI to answer any questions. If Facebook pulls off that vision, Facebook will have its own everywhere store to battle Amazon's everything store. Oh yeah, and one more thing, Facebook's next reality. Everything that Facebook has achieved on mobile is made more impressive by the fact that Facebook almost missed the platform altogether. It was a desktop-first product when it went public, and the market didn't believe it could make the transition to to mobile. The app was janky and built on HTML5, and analysts feared that a mobile newsfeed couldn't support an ad load. Its shares fell from $42 to $19 in Facebook's first three months as a public company. Zuck's a mobile problem by acquiring Instagram and pushing the company into a hard pivot, but it was harrowing, and he vowed not to miss the next one. To that end, Facebook made two acquisitions that are particularly intriguing. Oculus acquired the maker of VR headsets for $2.3 billion in 2014, and Control Labs 
in a less splashy move, acquired the brain computing startup for between $500 million and $1 billion in 2019. As of August, Facebook rolled Oculus, Control Labs, Portal, and SnapLens Studio lookalike Spark AR into Facebook Reality Labs. The division, reporting to Andrew Boz Bosworth, is responsible for Facebook's effort in VR, AR, and the spatial computing operating system. With its hand tied on social and messaging acquisitions, eight of its last 10 acquisitions have been under Facebook Reality Labs. It's easy to dismiss the effort. Who wants Facebook controlling the metaverse? But it's showing potential. Portal. After a chilly reception that went something like, no fucking way am I letting Zuck into my house, Portal sales have taken off during the pandemic. Oculus. Facebook lowered the price point for the Oculus Quest 2, its newest VR headset, to $299, and pre-orders surpassed the original Oculus by 5X. Oculus Quest 2 is the best standalone headset on the market, and is likely to be the best selling of all time. Spark AR. While this is a painfully blatant ripoff of Snap, the same logic I use for Snap holds here. By putting lightweight AR in hundreds of millions of people's hands, Facebook is getting an early head start on building Mirror World and AR Glasses. Facebook also has plans to release AR Glasses next year in partnership with Luxottica. Early attempts to build AR Glasses from Google Glass to Snap Lenses have ranged from butt of joke to toy-like. But if Facebook can marry what's worked in Oculus with the lighter touch needed for AR, it has a shot. Just like Facebook's social apps, the Facebook Reality Labs product will work together, in this case, to try to usher in the the era of spatial computing on Zuck's terms. To become the platform, Zuck predicts the company needs to sell 10 million Oculus headsets in order to attract enough developers to build an ecosystem. That's why the company dropped the price to $299. The prize couldn't be bigger. If Facebook becomes the default platform for VR, AR, or both, it will hold the position that Apple and Google hold in mobile today. Plus, it will be able to plug in its social messaging and commerce features to the new platform from day one, creating new opportunities for businesses and, of course, for Facebook itself. Now, is Facebook owning a foundational metaverse platform a good thing? Probably not. Over the past two weeks, I finally read Ernest Klein's 2012 metaverse instant classic Ready Player One and his new sequel, Ready Player Two, so I'm on high alert. If the real thing turns to be out anything like the book's fictional oasis, the decisions that the platform owner makes will have an unprecedented impact on billions of lives. Ready Player One takes place in a VR world powered by an advanced Oculus Quest-like headset. Ready Player Two raises the stakes when it moves players from VR headsets to Oni, a non-invasive neural interface through which players can control their avatars and experience others' lives just by thinking. Facebook has its own answer to Oni and Control Labs, which brings great promise and great danger, and will need to be regulated appropriately if it comes to market. Dystopian visions aside, in both fiction and, I suspect, reality, the company that owns the metaverse will be the most valuable in the world. We're many years away, and I prefer Tencent and Epic's more decentralized approach, but Facebook is a contender, and you get that upside potential for free. Putting it all together. Facebook is hard to love. Concerns around privacy and anti-competitive behavior abound. It rips off other companies' product work, and I'm not convinced Mark Zuckerberg isn't a robot. But as Ben Graham told a young Warren Buffett, in the short run, the stock market is a voting machine. In the long run, it's a weighing machine. Facebook will do more than $80 billion in revenue with gross margins over 80% and EBITDA margins over 40%. Half the people in the world outside of China use its products. It's built arguably the best business model in the world. It stands to benefit as much as anyone this side of Seattle from the dramatic and sudden shift to e-commerce. But despite that, it's trading at the lowest PE multiple among the FANG, e-commerce, and social media companies. 
There are obvious headwinds. We've discussed many in the piece, including an active antitrust lawsuit, and we haven't even mentioned two of the strongest, Apple's IDFA update on iOS 14, which will hurt Facebook's ability to collect data and target customers and apps, and TikTok may steal attention, the lifeblood of an aggregator from Facebook, or at the very least, hamper its ability to acquire young users. But Facebook is undervalued relative to any set of peers, and that's before taking its bets on the future into consideration. In the near term, it's unifying messaging, social, and commerce in the most ambitious backward integration in history. Long term, it may become the platform on which the virtual reality economy is built. And we got through this without mentioning Facebook's crypto project, currently called Diem, or its Jiffy acquisition. I love finding an overblown bearish narrative. Normally, I disagree with its sentiment. In this case, I agree. Facebook feels icky. But in this market, I'm not letting a little ick get in the way of good value. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you on Thursday.